Let's just continue in an attitude of prayer for a moment. So, Father, the songwriter sings that you might stir a passion within us at the deepest core of who we are. And yet we know personally those moments, those seasons, those times when maybe due to distractions, due to certain hardships or challenges, it feels like that passion goes away. And the passion can be replaced by uncertainty, by doubt, by frustration, by confusion. And Father, some of us are in that place today. And Father, I would ask as we now come back to the story of Habakkuk, we would be reminded of how you can be at work even in those dark places. And we might be open to that truth in our lives at this moment, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, good morning. My name is George Davis. Thank you for joining us. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to this Old Testament book of Habakkuk. It's a small book in the Old Testament of your Bible, and if you don't have a Bible, either in a hard copy or by phone, um, there is hopefully a copy of a Bible in a pew rack somewhere close by. Habakkuk, we're going to be in the second chapter of that little book. If you visit the city of London, England, and use their public transit system, their subway system, their underground system, throughout your journey in different stations of that vast network, you will encounter a recurrent safety security message. You will hear it audibly over the PA system and you will read it at different tube stations. And the safety security message that you will be constantly bombarded with is this phrase, wonderful British phrase, mind the gap. Now, the phrase means pay attention, be alert to the gap. And the gap is the gap between the train platform and the subway that you are either boarding or deboarding. Now, obviously, that's not a very large gap, but apparently enough people get in trouble with it that you are constantly reminded, mind the gap, pay attention to the gap. Be aware of this gap. This morning, we're continuing our journey through this Old Testament book, the story of this little-known prophet by the name of Habakkuk. Habakkuk lived in the land of Judah, and he lived at a time in which his nation was experiencing cultural chaos, political, social, spiritual decline. And in the midst of all this, Habakkuk is deeply frustrated. He wants to be faithful to God, but he looks around and he wonders, where exactly is God at? And yet as we read through his story, we come to understand that even in the midst of this chaos, this confusion, this disappointment, Habakkuk is, is someone who learns to live with hope. He learns to live with hope even in places where hope seems hard. 
So we're taking a few weeks to journey through this book, to study this book so that, that we could understand a little bit more about what it looks like for us to live and engage life with a sense of hope, even in those difficult spots that we sometimes find ourselves in. And as we continue our journey through this book this morning, we are going to discover that as you seek to follow God, there's a gap that you need to be aware of. You've got to mind the gap. There's a gap in your story that you need to understand that you need to pay attention to. And if you choose not to be aware of it, if you choose not to pay attention to it, you may find that hope becomes something that is always elusive, always just beyond your grasp. Now, as we look at this part of Habakkuk, uh, we're actually going to discover that this section of Habakkuk is the origin for a very, very famous statement in the New Testament. This section of Habakkuk is the origin for this statement, the just will live by faith. We'll get to that in a moment. But what we're going to see this morning is if you seek to follow Christ and, and you want in that journey of following to experience hope, you've got to be aware of a gap and one of the keys in being aware of this gap and responding well is this statement, the just will live by faith. So to show you that gap and how we can encounter it well, let's now come to, uh, let's now come to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2. Once again, here is the situation that the author, this prophet, is facing. He's living at this very tumultuous time, and for him, it's disappointing, it's challenging, it's uncertain. He's living at this moment when in light of decline, the nation isn't what it used to be, spirituality isn't what it used to be, and he's wondering where God is at in, the, in this mix. So we find him praying to God, and he's very honest about his frustration. God, why are you silent? Where are you in all of this? Where's your justice? And as we said last week, an important step in finding hope in hard places is being willing to engage God in prayer, even with your frustration, even with your uncertainty. And that's exactly what Habakkuk does. And then God answers his prayer. We looked at that a little bit last week. But it's an answer that Habakkuk could not fathom or imagine. And it, it's, you just can't overstate this. For Habakkuk, the answer that he received, just it unnerved him. He had no categories for it. Because the answer he got was this. God says, yes, I'm going to exercise justice, but I'm going to do it through the Babylonians. They're going to conquer your land. Habakkuk doesn't know how to deal with this because you've got to understand in the ancient world, I mean, the Babylonians had a notorious reputation for how they treated people that were brought into captivity. These were, these were evil people, people committed to other gods. And, and how on earth, God, can this be evidence of your justice? How can you work this way? How can you use these kinds of people? 
Where's your justice in all of that? And so we see Habakkuk praying again. I mean, we see a first complaint, and that leads to God's answer. Then there's a second complaint. God, can, how, can, what is, how is this your justice? How is one of the most evil empires ruling in triumph an example of you coming out on top? How can that be? So Habakkuk prays again. And then he waits for God's response. And this is where we pick it up. And right at the beginning of chapter 2, Habakkuk 2.2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. Now, once again, remember Habakkuk's complaint. God, where are you? You're AWOL in all of this. How can you let this stuff happen? And how can you allow the Babylonians to win? And so in response, he's given this vision, right? And the Lord says, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. Now, the the vision, the revelation that he's given, I think most likely refers to what we read basically in the rest of this chapter, verses 4 through 20. And as you read this chapter, a major theme that you will see is the fact that God will ultimately judge the Babylonian empire. In fact, the, the chapter includes with a series of woes that are issued against them. And it communicates the fact that while it may appear that the Babylonian empire is winning in the short term, in the long term, God's justice will prevail. Now, notice not only is Habakkuk given this vision, he's also told to write it down. And I think there's several reasons for that. It's to write it down on tablets. And interestingly, the the language here is is reminiscent of the giving of the Ten Commandments in Exodus, right? It's language reminiscent of of God coming into relationship with his people and and describing what that relationship will look like. And, And so in a real sense, just the fact that Habakkuk is given this vision and told to write it down, I think it is a reminder to him, Habakkuk, you're in relationship with me. You can trust me. But I think also he's told to write it down because It's going to come to pass. I want you to have a a record of this. All of this will happen. Now, there's one other thing to see in this verse, and it's the the second part of the verse. And you need to understand, it it places in this book, the the original Hebrew is is hard to understand, and there there are different ways to understand how the ideas flow together. So you get to the second part of this verse after, you know, there's the reference to the the giving of this vision, to writing it down, and there's this reference to running and running with the vision. And and so there's some debate about how to understand it. And and many translators believe, therefore, what it's referring to is some messenger, once he gets the, right, the tablets, the, the record of the vision, he's to run and tell it to others. I actually don't think that's what's going on here. And, and a clue is a verse found in another part of the Old Testament. Because as it turns out, the phrase used here is very similar to a phrase that occurs in the book of Proverbs chapter 18. Let me show this to you. In Proverbs 18.10, we read this, the name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it. And in Hebrew, it's actually run into it. 
and are safe. And that same preposition is actually used in this phraseology in Habakkuk. So it may sound a little odd, but I think the imagery in Habakkuk too is, it's more than just, okay, Habakkuk, write, out, write this down and send it out so other people can read it. I think it's this. It's not, about, it's not about running with the vision. It's about running into it. And by that, finding security in it, just like you run into a strong tower, finding comfort in it. Habakkuk, I'm going to give you this vision that testifies to my faithfulness. Now, Habakkuk, I want you to lean into it. I want you to trust it. I want you to embrace this. I want this to shape the way you live. I want you to find hope in this. That's what he's being told as he's given this vision. And he is to embrace it. He's to lean into it because it will come true. Notice how the passage continues, right? Look at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3 of chapter 2. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. So just stop there for a moment. See, Habakkuk, I want, I want, I'm giving you this vision and how you want, I just want this to, I want it to shape you. I want it to inform you. I want it to encourage you because it will prove true. You can count on it. I am trustworthy. But now, this is where it gets complicated. Here's where we discover the gap that Habakkuk has to deal with. And here's where we discover the gap that you and I will have to deal with if we're genuinely serious and seeking to follow God. The gap comes in the rest of verse 3, <laughs> right? It's going to happen. You can be sure of it. But then he's told this, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Habakkuk, this is absolutely true. This is absolutely going to happen. But it won't happen immediately. You have to wait. And you see, this is what Habakkuk's being told. From his perspective, there's going to be a gap between the promise and the communication of God's justice and the fulfillment of God's justice. Now we get, to, we get to look in hindsight and from 30,000 feet, it all just flows together and we see God using the Babylonians, but then he judges the Babylonians. But you've got to understand from ground level for Habakkuk, it's a gap. God has promised this and this is consistent with his character, yet it awaits in the future. And the truth is most likely Habakkuk never lived to see the fulfillment of these promises. His entire life would be lived in this gap between promise and fulfillment. And if you and I are to learn to find hope even in hard places, because we will find ourselves here, we've got to mind the gap. Now, let's be honest. Nobody likes to wait, right? Nobody likes to wait. We're getting, starting to enter the holiday season, right? And there'll be the whole gift exchange. And for some of us, it's just hard to wait. Particularly if you're younger, maybe it's hard to wait. Find out what's under the tree. 
Just think about what went through your mind the last time you were stuck in traffic. The last time you were, you know, you were traveling through a particular part of our community and you didn't anticipate construction or road work. It's cut down to one lane and it's just messed up your timing. Do you remember the last time you were in line and it wasn't moving quickly enough at the store or you determined I got in the wrong line? Remember how frustrated? We don't like to wait. Even yesterday, I was at the grocery store. I just had a couple of items. The individual in front of me, she had a cartload full. And, you know, I was kind of in a hurry. I had my day plan, things I wanted to do. And I'm waiting, and she gets it all done. And, but then she gets to the, the payment part, and she puts her credit card into the reader, and she says something about not remembering the PIN number. And so there's a delay. And the funny thing, I, I hate to admit it, but at this point, an internal dialogue starts in my head. And the internal dialogue goes something like this. Choose a different card, choose a different card, choose a different card. And it's almost like there's a play-by-play announcer in the back of my head going, there she goes, she takes the MasterCard, she puts it back in her wallet, she pulls out her visa, puts it into the machine, and she scores, the payment is accepted. Right? And all this is going on in the back of my head, and, and I'm embarrassed to say, you know, it's just, it's just a, what, a 45-second, 60-second delay, but it's hard to wait. And yet when I read the pages of Scripture, I constantly encounter characters, individuals, people like us, that are having to wait in this journey of following God people at times who are facing different kinds of gaps where you wonder, what is God doing? What does this look like? Why am I here? Why isn't anything happening? But you've got to wait. That's the story of Scripture. I mean, interestingly, in Hebrews chapter 11... We read a description of people throughout the biblical storyline who have been faithful in following God. And you get to the end of that description and we are told they were commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what was promised because the ultimate fulfillment is still in the future. And you see, there's a real sense in which as Christians, our entire lives at one level are lived in this gap because the ultimate fulfillment of the promises that define us still remain in the future. Yet even in the midst of that reality, at a concrete level, there are seasons, there are moments when we find ourselves in this gap where it feels like we're stuck and we're not sure where God is. We're not sure what's going on and it's frustrating. We feel like it's beyond our control. I don't know what to do about it. So we want to trust God. We believe in God and we want to be faithful, yet I'm being bullied at school and nothing is changing. I want to believe in God, I want to trust God, yet I'm in this dead-end job and I don't see any way out and there are no opportunities in front of me that I can pursue. I want to believe in God, but I'm in this marriage and I don't know what happened. I want to believe in God, yet there are these important relationships in my life that somehow have gone crooked and I don't know the next step. I want to believe in God, yet I'm deeply lonely. And somehow I don't know how to move beyond that, and it feels like he doesn't even care. 
See, like the, just like the people in the Bible, we, we want to follow God, and yet we find ourselves in this gap where there seems to be this gap between the promises of God and the fulfillment of God's promises. So that's the gap. And you need to understand you will face it. And the reality is when you find yourself here, you have to respond some way. You're going to respond in some way whether you realize what's going on or not. And that then brings us to verse 4. Because let's continue reading. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. Now, once again, the, the Hebrew here is challenging, and there are a couple of different ways to read this. What seems to be clear is a person is being described who is going through internal chaos or something is wrong internally. And I think actually what's being described here is something like this. It's the person who is confronted with this vision that, that Habakkuk has received and says, I can't do this. <laughs> I don't believe this. I can't trust this. And they walk away. They shrink back. They don't lean into it like was just described at the beginning of the passage. They don't embrace it. They, they just walk away. Therefore, what I see in verse 4 is then a contrast between that and the rest of the verse. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. So here's, here's Habakkuk's deal. He's in this gap. God is faithful, but Habakkuk, you're not going to see it. But you need to know this will become true. But in the meantime, here's where you're at. You've got to wait. But notice what we, what we see in this passage is it's not just waiting as in sitting back and passively watching the time go by. He is told this. And this is really the big idea of this part of the book. He's told this. As you wait, live by faith. As you wait, live by faith. So what exactly does that look like? Well, let me just quickly unpack that in several different directions for you. What, what does this way of life look like? First of all, I think it involves living confidently. And notice throughout this passage, Habakkuk is challenged to have confidence in the fact that God's promises will come true. Right? Again, verse 3, this revelation speaks of the end. It will not prove false. In other words, Habakkuk, you can live with a sense of confidence in God that he will be faithful to his character and faithful to his promises, even though you don't see it immediately. And I think the underlying issue in this situation and often the underlying issue for us as we face that gap is simply this question, can I trust God? Can I trust him? Of course, for some of us, this is where we get stuck, right? We find ourselves in this gap. And I think for some of us, we then get stuck on a treadmill of endless questions. Can I trust God? What's happening? Why is this happening? This isn't fair, so why is this happening to me? Where is God? Does he exist at all? We get stuck, and there, there are these endless, I don't know, for some of us, it feels like there's this just ongoing question loop that as we find ourselves in the this, in this season of uncertainty, the questions just keep coming and coming. Uh, Dan Taylor is a uh, retired college professor of English literature. And by, I guess, personality, by temperament, maybe by life experience, 
He's very reflective. He's very questioning. He would say he leans toward being skeptical. And he's written a fascinating book that I'm now reading that I'll just mention to you. The book is called The Skeptical Believer, Telling Stories to Your Inner Atheist. And part of this is just his own journey of being this kind of person that is always questioning and always certain, the kind of person that easily gets stuck in the questions when you find yourself in the gap. And I think for some of us, just by personality and temperament, we are more likely to be this way. And I would put myself in that category. And uh, along those lines, I, th- I, would, I would recommend this book to you. If you didn't get the title, just email me. I'll be glad to give it to you. But in his own description, he, he talks about, in essence, what, you know, that experience of being on a treadmill. You find yourself in this situation that you don't fully understand. It feels like God is, ask- is absent. You're constantly asking the questions. He describes this place as a place of soul weariness. Some of us, I think, can reflect and relate to that. Where we're just always stuck in the questions and it feels like we'll never have answers to them. And he says this, his his advice is don't throw in, in the towel in terms of giving up on the questions. Rather, make a commitment in the midst of the questions. And the commitment he invites us to make is this, see yourself as part of the bigger story. And I love that advice because in essence, I think that's what Habakkuk does. You get to to the third chapter, which we'll see in in a couple of weeks, and, and Habakkuk is praying again. But, you know, part of his prayer, Habakkuk is remembering what God has done in the past. He remembers God's acts of deliverance. And in essence, it's Habakkuk saying this, look, I don't get, I don't fully understand all that's going on right now. And God, I don't get how you could actually use the Babylonians. But I remember that my story is actually part of something much bigger. It's a story where you have proven yourself faithful and trustworthy. So part of living confidently, I think, is choosing to remember that our lives as followers of Christ are part of a bigger story. Centuries later, the early Christian leader, Paul the Apostle, would write these words, I consider my present sufferings in no way to compare to the future glory that will be revealed in us. Now remember for Paul, his life got more complicated because he became a follower of Christ. There was greater opposition, greater hardship, greater uncertainty, room for more questions because he became a follower of Christ. And in this passage, he's not diminishing the sufferings or the hardships. He's not pretending it's not there. I mean, I think he, he, he fully acknowledges the difficulty, yet what he is saying is this, I choose to understand my suffering in light of the bigger story. And when I understand how God will ultimately fulfill his promises, it reshapes how I look at the gap. Sometimes, you know, when I find myself in this place where you just feels like, okay, what's going on here, God? I'm not, where are you in this? There are certain scenes in my life I just go back to, places where I feel like God intervened in very clear and dramatic ways. And I need to be reminded of that, that he's trustworthy. Even though I don't understand this at ground level, If he's been trustworthy then, 
he can be trusted here. And I think in some point as Christians, when we remind ourselves of the bigger story, we have to go back to the cross. Because if he could be faithful to us in that way, at that moment, we can trust him here, even though it feels like we're stuck. Stuck in this gap. And I think learning to wait confidently, reminding ourselves of the trustworthiness of God and the bigger storyline of what he's doing leads to this. It means we, we also learn to live obediently. Once again, the description that the author is given here is that the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. <laughs> now, at this point, you might be saying, whoa, 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 you just changed the wording, Right? Because I, I said, well, this is that famous verse in the Bible, the, the righteous, the just will live by faith. And so which is it? Is it faith or is it faithfulness? And some have argued that the way this passage is used in the New Testament is very different than the original context. So, for instance, a very significant use of this passage in the New Testament is found in Romans 1. It's really the thesis statement of the book of Romans. And Paul says this, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. It's a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just, last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he's citing Habakkuk 2.4. Well, people try to make a big distinction between faith and faithfulness, but I think the terms are really interrelated. And interestingly, the Hebrew term used in Habakkuk 2 can actually communicate both ideas. Your Bible may even have a footnote to that effect. And I think the idea is this, we are, we are brought into a relationship with God by faith, and now as Christians, that is made possible through the work of Jesus Christ, but this this faith just naturally should lead to faithfulness. So that the ideas are, are deeply connected. And I think for Paul, you know, it's, you've been brought into this relationship by faith. It's, it's not of good works, and yet this faith should move you into a certain way of life, and that will be explained further in the rest of the book of Romans. And in a similar way, Habakkuk is being told, right, to, if, you, if you're going to embrace this vision, to live this way, to learn to wait, it, it involves living obediently. It's the faithfulness that flows out of faith. Now, once again, this is where some of us get stuck. Because maybe you would say, you know, sometimes I'm in the small group or the Sunday school class or I have these conversations with other Christians and they just seem to have this tremendous faith. They never have questions. It always feels like God's doing stuff amazing in their lives. And so they just want to follow him and be obedient. But I've got these questions. I'm not sure about a lot of stuff. And I almost feel disingenuous to think about being obedient or taking this seriously because, I'm, I, you, know, if, you know, isn't it the case that you can only really take those steps of obedience if your heart's fully in it and there are no questions, no doubts? Isn't that what it looks like to live by faith? And that's where you just look at Habakkuk once again, right? He's, he's told this vision. And I think as, as we see him progress through the course of this book, as he's wrestling with it and engaging in it, he is learning to embrace it and lean into it so that we get to the end of the book and there's, there is this confidence and hope even in the midst of hard places. 
Yet even for Habakkuk, I mean, this is scary stuff. This is, this is uncertain stuff. I mean, look at chapter 3, verse 16. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered on the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of the calamity. This wasn't a course of someone who, hey, you know what? God just gave me the vision. It's all going to be cool in a few decades. No problem. I'm going to live by faith. This is a guy who's been overwhelmed by a vision that he doesn't understand and it feels weird and he's not going to see the full import of it or the full nature of it. And yet, okay, man, I'm not quite sure how to put this together. And, you know, he's described as one who's trembling on the inside, yet he still continues to take steps forward. I have a friend who defines faith this way. Faith is believing God enough to do what he says. Faith is simply believing God enough to do what he says. That, that doesn't mean we don't have questions. But it does mean in the, even in the midst of the questions and uncertainties, I choose to live my life as part of the bigger story. Can I just say this? I think at a practical level, it includes not disengaging from spiritual rhythms. The deal is when I, when I find myself stuck with uncertainty and doubt, sometimes the first thing I may do is just disengage, disengage from scripture, from prayer, from Christian community. And the truth is in that season, it may feel very tedious, routine, dry. It may feel like it doesn't make a difference. And my encouragement to you is even if you find yourself there, realize that even in those moments when these patterns, these rhythms can seem dry or empty, you're still creating space for God to be at work. And over time, I do think they can help us get off the treadmill of simply being stuck in this gap. So we wait confidently. We wait obediently. And, and just thirdly, I think we, we wait patiently. That's part of what living by faith looks like. It, it includes the recognition that God may be at work in ways I don't fully understand. Think about Habakkuk for a moment. He will live through the destruction of his country. He will see Jerusalem destroyed. And from ground level, it just looks like it's, it's sheer defeat. It's the triumph of evil over good. God's justice, God's character seems to be absent in the process. And most likely he will not live to see the fulfillment of these promises. All he sees is the mess. But you know, here's one thing he didn't see. He didn't see that when the Babylonians come into Judah, they, they, they deport a number of people. They take them back to Babylon to work, to serve, to, to be slaves. And this deportation becomes an important part of what is ultimately known as the Jewish diaspora, the Jewish dispersion, the Jewish spreading. So by the, by the time we get to the first century, Jews have, have spread throughout the Greco-Roman world. And wherever they've gone, they've established neighborhoods and communities. And when they've established neighborhoods and communities, they've built synagogues. 
And so by the time Christianity comes around, there's synagogues throughout the Greco-Roman world. And as the message of Christ spreads throughout this world, an important part in that expansion are these synagogues where the message often receives a hearing. And even if it's rejected by Jews, they're, they're Gentiles that have been at the periphery of the synagogue that become open to this message. And so Habakkuk had no idea that the mess he was about to experience would actually be part of this bigger story in this way. And in some ways, you're sitting here because of what Habakkuk went through. He didn't see it. He had to be patient. And I think we have to be patient, not simply because we don't understand the big picture of what God is doing. We have to be patient because we need to understand that, that in some of these gaps, the deepest work that God is doing is actually in us. Sometimes we get frustrated, and I don't know, do you ever find yourself in this chain of thinking, if only I had more faith, or if only I had better faith, or my faith were purer, then God would do certain things. And sometimes we get in this gap and we feel like, if only I had more faith, God would change things, and I wouldn't have to go through this. And what we may miss out on is God is actually seeking to do a deep work here, but that deep work he's wanting to do is actually in me in the midst of this gap. This is why James says, consider it all joy when you face trial because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says this, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. This is how God can be at work, so wait patiently. So here's the deal. If you seek to follow God, at times you will experience this gap. And in some way you, you will respond. Maybe you walk away, maybe you say, I, I just gotta handle this on my own. Or maybe you choose to follow the counsel of this book and realize, yes, I've got to wait, but as I wait, I will live by faith. If you do that, you will make the surprising discovery that you can live in hope even when hope seems hard. Let's pray together. Gracious God, I, I, I just thank you for the encouragement of this book. And Father, as, as I see Habakkuk just wrestling with this vision, this surprising vision, and all that it entails, I pray that we would hear it clearly. I pray that we would see this as an invitation to lean in to who you are. To lean in and allow the truth of who you are and your faithfulness to provide security and encouragement and freedom. Father, Father may we learn to wait, but may we do so by living in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.